And no matter who you are, you always have to sharpen your ax and you have to stay smart. And it's all about your delivery and how you communicate with somebody that gets you what you want. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. The moral of the story is take your 10-year-old son to Hooters. Are you stupid? You really believe this stuff? Hey, it's Mikey from the Goonies. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have Shark Tank star, FUBU founder, and New York Times bestselling author, Damon John, as he shares how being a waiter at Red Lobster prepared him for success, why you should answer emails on the treadmill, and why it's not about the numbers, it's about the people. So first of all, I hope you enjoy this interview in spite of me. So there are two main people who run this podcast. The main person is not me. All I do is ask questions and then try and get people on. The real person who runs this is a guy named Eric Woody. He's silent producer Eric for, I think I've referenced him a few times. He does an amazing job. Unfortunately for us, he has a birthday. So he's decided to go off and party on his birthday and leave me all alone to do a remote interview with Damon John. Huge interview. Great guy. But I get everything set up, trying to do the monitors, do the interview, everything else. I forget to hit record. Luckily, I had my phone on. So this is really for Eric. This is Eric's birthday present, present, me admitting that I totally messed up on it. Luckily, we do have the phone interview. Damon's great. Talked in the phone the whole time. Um, and of course, he's just one of those people we really like. My daughters and I, we listen to him uh, or watch the show Shark Tank just about every night. And it's really inspired them. You know, we recorded this interview a week before Halloween. They went out and uh, sold uh, Costco sized bags of candy to all the neighbors so they wouldn't have to go. Daughters made some money and they're just going to get the candy back anyway when they go around trick or treating. So it works out perfectly. It's a circle of life. So I asked Damon, what advice do you have for young entrepreneurs? Young entrepreneurs, well, first of all, it's not about young entrepreneurs. First of all, it starts off with the parents, right? Because we have to, you know, really, all of us are born thinking like entrepreneurs. And this is even for people that work in corporations. They're entrepreneurs, right? And I don't want people around me that aren't thinking outside the box. I hire people that are smarter. And just like my mother did for me, you have to make your kid believe that it can be done. Our generation and the generation before us, we just always thought that government or Social Security is going to be around forever. And we realized that working on somebody else's dream is even scarier than working on your own. So I would say that the younger kids out there, when they start, do like all of us, it's the lemonade stand theory, you know, take affordable steps, try to make really small uh, incremental growth, like going door to door and sharing candy, you know, selling candy, and find a way to surround yourself also with other people that believe in the same thing. You know, we're, we're often taken off course when we hang out with people who believe in this wrong things and we do that. So it's the same thing. Surround yourself with like-minded people, take affordable steps, and then try to go find a mentor. Now, one of your earliest mentors you talk about is your, is your mom. What kind of role did she play in your life? Mom, mom played a crucial role in my life. Um, she made me figure things out myself. She always made me feel like I was extremely, extremely special and that nobody's perfect. I didn't realize I was dyslexic until 15 years ago, but going through school when I was having a hard time with history and um, and English, you know, my mother would work with me on it and then I would later on realize that my dyslexia was a strength in math and in going out and doing things because if I didn't read it and comprehend it the right way, I would go out and try to do it, which would give me more real life experience. Uh, Mom was just really amazing and still is just an amazing mentor to me. 
Well, you know, in talking about going out and doing those steps and working through those different things, I know a lot of people know that you, you know, waited tables at Red Lobster, but you're also a cab driver, a bike messenger. What, what about doing those jobs was, uh, did you learn from those and what made them hard and, and good as well? You know, I'm, I'm a person that tries to get the most out of the 24 hours I'm at some place, and every single one of those jobs I learned from people, you know, so I was a messenger, and I was a messenger in Manhattan, and I actually worked for, now knowing the business I'm in, it was a venture firm company and a, a commercial bank called Boston uh, uh, Lehman Marcus and uh, another company. And I noticed one thing, some of the messenger people that worked with me were happier than the VCs and stockbrokers that were upstairs who were trying to wonder when they're going to get their next yacht. So I started to understand the value of money, and money is not success. It doesn't make you happy. I worked at Red Lobster. I was a waiter. But when those quarterly reports came out from Red Lobster that every waiter had access to, everybody else was thinking about partying and drinking. I was reading the quarterly reports and how you made more money off of appetizers, desserts, and beverages more than the steak. And how you know you reduce the shrimp scampi by one shrimp but increase this, you make X amount to your bottom line. I started looking at how they started to reduce staff during certain hours, and I just started to understand, and I wouldn't know that it would educate me for years to come uh, for where I am today. Well, we're also here in Music City, you know, yeah. recording this interview. You've had a, a, you know, a, a you know, time in the music industry as well uh, as a record label executive or, or running yeah. record label. Sure. What did you learn from that experience? I learned that you know we all have the same three and a half minutes, and, and, and the same way that there's an artist, they have the three and a half minutes, there is a... You know, somebody who goes on to a movie screen and has the same hour and a half. The product is 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 good and it's king. But after that, it's how you deliver, how you package, and how you brand and market and present it to the market. And you yourself, your uh, product, you have to walk in the room and present yourself to your leadership or to your customers or to your family. And a lot of people don't concentrate on that. They try to. It's almost like a. a it's like a scientist right now trying to tell you about an iPhone or a marketer. I don't care how you built that iPhone. <laughs> I just want to know what it does, right? Don't tell me about the, the, the nano something like that. And a lot of people get caught in that. They say, well, I'm such a great quality person. My product is so this and that. It's fine. How can you just make it nice and simple to me and make my life easier because i got a lot of things going on? Because the only thing they're not making in this world these days are attention. So um, I, I started to learn and understand that the branding of anything in this world is the most important aspect. Who did you learn that from? I learned it from the School of Hard Knocks, but I also learned it from, you know, the people that I admired, uh, you know, and saw coming up. You know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to be raised, uh, you know, in Hollis, Queens, where a guy named Russell Simmons uh, was there. And, you know, out of Hollis, Queens, in this small little five-square-mile area came, you know, Run DMC, 50 Cents, Ja Rule, Salt and Pepper, Tribe Called Quest, uh, and, and a bunch of other people. And I started to notice how those one those couple of people, about 20 people from Hollis, Queens, became global brands brands because of the way this one guy just positioned them. A lot of people I was asking for questions like what should I what should I ask him when I'm talking to him and they said how does he balance you know, yeah, being work successful and time. And okay, I know what you're going to ask because yeah. that's the only thing that we all <laughs> ask and it is a constant improvement. You know when you and I, and hopefully most people listening to this, when we were kids, we didn't care about what we put in our body, right? We can eat, we can eat you know, 10 bags of Cheetos and drink till 4 in the morning, and then all of a sudden we're up 
no problem running around. All of a sudden, we had to improve and realize that it's taking a toll on us. We can't do those things any longer, right? It's the same with, you know, uh, according to your time. When we were younger and we may not have had a lot of other responsibilities in life, then maybe we just went all out and worked on that degree or the company we were working at or whatever the case is. Sooner or later, we had to start taking in the fact that we have a wife or a husband, kids. We have our health, our faith, and our parents are getting older. Maybe they're not going to be around enough, and we have to start moving time together. So what I do is, first of all, I schedule time to be off. I also maximize my time. If I'm going to know that I'm going to sit there and I'm going to need to answer 200 emails, well, I'm going to walk on the treadmill while answering those emails at the same exact time. I got in cardio, I burned 700 uh, calories, and I answered a bunch of emails, and I'm not at the office with everybody pounding me in the head. But, you know, the first, uh, when I was uh, 33 years old, I had traveled the world, the entire world. I traveled it three times, and the entire world was a boardroom, an airport, a hotel, and a restaurant. And I then said to myself, I was 30 pounds overweight, I was miserable, I was going through a divorce, uh, and I realized, wait a minute, I'm not going to be here much longer if I don't take care of myself. So now I schedule time with my kids. I schedule when I'm going into a city. I'll go and become a tourist, have my have my shorts pulled up to my chest with a bunch of <laughs> buttons. I love Paris, walk around for a day, and I keep putting it in because we always say, whether it's our health, our family, or a time, we always say, we'll get to it tomorrow. There is no tomorrow, like in Rocky. There is no tomorrow. Get to it now, schedule it, make it a priority. Nobody's ever been on their deathbed and said, if I would have just stayed one more day in the office, you know, so make it a priority. And it's a constant job to adjust it. Now, as a leader, you're, you're obviously leading a lot of different companies, a lot of different organizations. Uh, and I know from personal experience, you have great people working for you, Champ, Sherry, and others. What what do you look for in a person, and how do you go about finding them as a as a business leader? I look for people who uh, think outside the box. I look for, and, and forget even just in the corporation. When I'm even investing people, in, investing people, people who are problem solvers, people who are team players, people who know how to take affordable steps and aren't afraid of failure. You know, today in corporations, I'm seeing you know I'm in everyone every other day, as you know, because you you have me there a lot of times, and I'm seeing a lot of people. They hear my speech, they rah rah rah, get up and walk out, and they never do anything about it. Because senior leadership doesn't talk about how to create innovation, even though I came there to speak about innovation. But if everybody's sitting there in their corner office and making decisions from a corner office at 35,000 feet in the air, and they're making decisions with like-minded people that are now 50, 60, 70, saying, don't worry about all that stuff, you're going to fail. You're going to die. Um, so what I do is I like people who like to mingle. I bring on a lot of millennials that are much smarter than me. You know, you know, if you're listening to it now and we think about millennials being selfish people and things of that nature, that's the exact same thing that our parents said about our generation. But today's millennial can overthrow a government with something called Twitter. They never had to pick up a gun. Today's millennial, the, the office hours aren't nine to five. They're attached to a cell phone and they will answer you at four o'clock in the morning, unlike when we grew up. They also only will buy from companies that are sharing the wealth with other people, you know, in Tom shoes and other things else because they not want to they don't want to know what have you done for me lately. They want to know what have you done for anybody lately. So, I try to have like-minded people around me who are innovative, who think outside the box, who speak their mind. And no matter what who's listening out, it starts with upper management. Upper management dictates that it takes two and a half weeks to treat your employee like you're being treated. So, uh, you know, I I, um, I treat people like I will I will lift a box up just as fast as anybody in my company. You actually turned down Shark Tank 
um, in making a decision for a commitment. Tell us about that story. Yeah, you know, so um, when Shark Tank came around and they wanted me to do the show, they said I couldn't do any other show but ours. At that time, I was um, I was branding and marketing, um, and I was kind of co-managing the Kardashians. I promised I was going to be on their show for a little while. Uh, Shark Tank said I couldn't. I told Shark Tank I had to pass. Khloe Kardashian, you know, realized um, that I was giving up Shark Tank for her, and she said she'd never get in my way. You know, the, the people that we see throughout our history and our career are people that have been people that you can trust. Um, and, uh, you know, that decision to, to turn down working on Shark Tank made Shark Tank want me more, right? Um, <laughs> but also, I knew that I was dealing with the right people, such as Chloe and all of them, because they said, no way would I ever get in your way. So it's about like-minded people, no matter how much you, you know, no matter how much you think, listen, I don't care about the number. It's the people. If, if I don't like you, and I can't, whether I'm investing in your Shark Tank or in the company, if we have a problem and I never want to pick up the phone to call you, we're never going to solve that problem. But if you're a problem solver and I learn from you, you learn from me, then we're going to pick up the phone all the time and we're going to figure this thing out. There's no difference in your personal relationship with your wife or husband. It's the same thing. What's the most exciting part of a deal when you're on Shark Tank? No, well, when I'm on Shark Tank, physically, the most exciting part of the deal is that I'm a little brown boy from Queens who's dyslexic, who barely, who didn't go to college and got left back. And if I can stick it to Mr. Billionaire Mark Cuban, <laughs> or I can stick it to any of them, it's a game of mental judo. It's chess, and it shows you that no matter who you are, and vice versa, Barbara will stick it to me. And no matter who you are, you always have to sharpen your axe, and you have to say smart, and it's all about your delivery and how you communicate with somebody that gets you what you want. What's next on the horizon for you as somebody who's always trying to create, always trying to do something next? And, you know, honestly, Shark Tank takes a lot of time. Um, and I'm honored enough that these great companies allow me to participate in their dream. And it takes a lot of time out of my life. So I will be, you know, let's say the show ended today. I would be, I'll be dealing with my partners at least the next five or 10 years if I just stopped today. So number one, that's important to me. Being a great dad um, is important to me. I don't want to leave my daughters an inheritance. I want to leave them a legacy. And as I've been starting to share with people, uh, early detection is my new thing because I, I had stage two cancer that I wasn't aware I had. I came out of successfully. And too many of us are so busy thinking about business that we don't realize that our health, we don't have a business if we don't have our health. And if I can get Get people who are listening today to go and get a endoscopy, colonoscopy, pap smear, mammogram, whatever the case is, and find early detection. And if I can save one person's life, my life is worth living, and that's why I'm here. So that that has been my um, my goal now, and for the rest of my life, I will be uh, talking to people about it because we often see people like my dear friend Big Ange. Once it's too late, and they're going through their challenges, then they're gone. And we try to put our head in the sand, close our eyes and go, oh my God, I hope I don't get hit by that imaginary bus that one day is gonna come. Instead of being proactive about it and saying, let me check into every single thing on my body or nudging our father or grandfather or wife, whatever. So that is my, I don't wanna ramble about it, but I guess you get the point. It is extremely important. I have been getting so many letters now of people who said, after they heard my speech or on television or my story, they went and got a checkup and guess what? They caught something in time. So uh, that, that's, that's what I think I wanna leave my legacy. 
Now, it's also so important to pass things on as well, you know, things that people can take with them. Tell us about your curriculum and your new book, too. Yeah, so, you know, um, look, you know, a little dyslexic kid now is on his fourth book. My last book hit New York Times, The Power of Broke, because I want people to know that if I can make it, any single and every single person can make it. My last book was called The Power of Broke. It was the theory that you don't need money to make money because over... 65% of the most wealthiest people in the world are self-made men and women. That means they started with zero. Athletes, the stat is the athletes and lotto winners, over 65% of them after either retiring or winning the lotto are bankrupt three years later. That means they had money, but they they didn't know how to operate that tool. So the first one was power broke. Now, this one is called Rise and Grind because I studied 16 subjects in the power broke, everybody from Kevin Plank, Under Armour, to, uh, you know, to many other people. This one now, I'm, I'm, I'm showing people, all right, what exactly do I need to do daily, daily to make it? You and I, the person listening to me, we both have the same 24 hours in a day. Rise is what we're going to do, right? We're going to rise. Grind is a methodical method to becoming successful. And if we both have the same 24 hours in a day, why are you more successful than me? Or I'm more successful than you? Or you're more successful than that person? How do you use that 24 hours? So I study people, everybody from uh, Santana to Catherine Zeta-Jones to Russell Simmons to a young man named Kyle Maynard who uh, was born with no arms and no limbs and he, he army crawled Mount Kilimanjaro with no prosthetics. And I asked them, what did they do for the first 90 minutes of the day, the last 90 minutes of the day? What did they do when they were 20 that they forgot they no longer do now and they're 40. What did they do when they were 20 that got them somewhere? They stopped doing it and then they started to reapply it because they realized, holy crap, I lost the fundamentals of what got me here. And I hope that the book, and I know the book, will show people that, wow, I do that. I'm on the right page. Wait a minute. I shouldn't do that. Wait a minute. I am going to try that because in there, you'll see out of all the subjects, the same 50 or 60 things they do in one form or another. And honestly, it has made me so much more productive since I have been doing those interviews and writing the book because I apply some of those things myself. And I go, holy cow, I forgot the 22-year-old Damon used to do that. I'm going to start doing it again. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D. and Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Yount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you listen this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.